0: Good morning. morning. It's good to see you and to be worshiping with you this morning at WPC. Um, Next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday, and that serves as the end of the church's liturgical year, basically the church calendar. And the new um, church worship year will begin the following Sunday with the season of Advent. That means today is the last Sunday in ordinary time of this church year. Or, in other words, the last time you'll see green pyramids until mid-January. The reason I go into all this church nerd speak is that the last Sunday in ordinary time every year in the church year is an apocalyptic one. Now, we tend to tense up whenever we hear that word apocalyptic, and that's thanks in large part to... Uh, the, the numerous doomsday preachers that always seem to find their way onto the airwaves, whether it's TV, radio, or whatnot. But really, that word simply means revelation. And this day in the church year is a day where we get to have a glimpse of God's future. A future that's always greater and always more abundant than even our highest of expectations. We saw this in our first reading from the prophet Isaiah in which he gives us a beautiful glimpse of God's future, one that the Apostle John will rely on heavily in the ending of his revelation. Our second lesson is what scholars call Luke's little apocalypse, as Jesus predicts the temple's fall and subsequent trouble and persecution of believers, but through it all promises God's omnipresence and care. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 21st chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the fifth verse. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, "'Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place?' And he said, "'Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately.' Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this will occur, they'll arrest you and persecute you. They'll hand you over to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. As a child, I loved to play with Legos. Now, I never really liked the kits, you know, the, the box that would have a, a cool... Um, design on it that you had to follow specific instructions in order to complete. I preferred the big tub of miscellaneous blocks that you could just dump out onto the floor and create whatever you wanted to. I'd spend hours as a kid building castles and houses, barns, and pirate ships, with just my imagination and hundreds of small rectangular blocks. I'd spend hours creating, building up my own little kingdom, and then eventually, my baby brother or dog would storm through, and my, my uh, hard work and creation would be no more. It would all be destroyed. In our scripture reading this morning, Jesus talks about the destruction of what people hold sacred. While at the temple in Jerusalem, the very symbol of Jewish worship of their day, he tells them that this ornate building will be destroyed— brick by brick, leaving not a single stone on top of another. See, the writer of Luke's gospel is working and writing about two generations or so after Christ. And the temple uh, was destroyed by Rome in the year 70. So Luke is almost certainly writing his gospel in the aftermath of the destruction of the temple. But Jesus' prophetic discourse doesn't end here. No, he goes on to tell them how they'll be persecuted because of their beliefs. That nation will rise up against nation, brother against brother. People will even falsely come in Christ's name trying to lead God's people astray. But Jesus tells them to hold on, keep the faith, don't grow weary waiting for God's kingdom. Something that's been hard for Christians to come to grip with over the centuries is that the means to the end of Christ's return may not be what we bargained for. (laughs) Worldly speaking, we live quite privileged lives, and at times we tend to think or at least hope that Christ's return and God's kingdom means that everything will be business as usual. Maybe there'll be no poverty or no hunger. Maybe there won't be an unemployment rate. But besides that, we can go on with our days. Christ is coming, that's great and all, but hopefully it won't disrupt anything I'm enjoying right now. We have to remember the words in our lesson today. As Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Of course, Jesus here is talking about the stones of the temple, but if we think about the stones of the temple as representing all that the people had held sacred at the time, then all of those stones, too, were to be overturned. We Think about it, it's pretty challenging stuff. In college, I spent one summer at my camp, Massanetta, doing an internship where I served as the camp chaplain. In this role, I got to lead Bible studies and worship and even do some pastoral care. In our worship space, which also served as our campfire circle, there stood a large wooden cross in the ground at one end of the space. Each week, one of our evening worship services focused on Jesus' words, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. As an activity, to illustrate this, we asked each camper to go away from the worship space on their own and find a rock around the campgrounds could be big or small, shiny or dull, any rock they liked. So we would see campers from the ages of 5 to 17 go all over the camp to pick up uh, anywhere from marble-sized pebbles all the way to the overzealous teen trying to roll a rock as big as himself. Once they had their rock, we asked them to write on it a burden that they had on their hearts. And after they wrote their burden on the rock, they were asked to lay them down at the foot of the cross to represent how Jesus takes away our burdens, our fears, our worries. This little pile of rocks grew and grew each week until it became a sizable Scottish cairn at the foot of the camp cross. We never asked the campers to share, but having done this releasing, freeing activity, many of them were moved to share their burdens with one another. Many of the campers shared that they carried heavy burdens from struggling with their parents' divorce, to losing a family member, to being bullied at school, to dealing with a chronic illness. Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Friends, these too are stones that will be overturned with Christ's coming. All of our burdens, our stresses, our discomforts and worries, All injustices, prejudices, and hatred, all hunger, poverty, and suffering, all of these too will be overturned. What are some of your stones? Your burdens, your worries, your fears. This lesson, while still challenging, can also become one of comfort and hope for our coming and risen Lord. The question then becomes what do we do in the meantime? Do we just sit and wait patiently for all the wrongs of the world to be righted? When will that sweet by and by come? This is a question Christians have been asking for millennia, including the later epistles of the New Testament, and I would argue uh, the audience that Luke is writing his gospel for. Theologians have articulated that the most helpful attitude to think of God's kingdom is to think of God's kingdom in the terms of the already in the not yet. We know and profess that God's kingdom has begun with Christ's birth, the incarnation, God dwelling among us. We also know that this kingdom has come with Christ's death and resurrection. But still, we know that God's kingdom will not be fully realized until Christ returns in glory. In the same way, we see glimpses of God's kingdom come in around us, among us, We see wrongs righted by our world. We witness suffering alleviated, wars ended, peace restored. But we also know that it's not fully here yet. There's still plenty of injustice in the world, still plenty of suffering, hunger, and violence. This is the already and the not yet. This attitude helps us realize and live into God's kingdom that is already here but it also helps us to look to the kingdom that is not yet present. It helps us work towards the purposes of God's kingdom here and now with the confidence and hope that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of not yet. Think back to the story of the pile of stones at the foot of the cross. I trust that some of those stones have been overturned. Suffering has been relieved, worry, and fear has been removed. To this, we can rejoice in God's power and love. But we also know that some of those stones remain. Some of these wounds haven't healed. Pain and worry haven't been eradicated. Yet. As our first lesson shows us, friends, we know how the story ends. We know that God's love will reign over all. So how do we live into this messy tension of the already and not yet? Thankfully, Jesus himself tells us in our reading. After he gives us this laundry list of the troubles and persecution that will face disciples, he says this, this will give you an opportunity to testify. That word testify in Greek is martyreon, from which we get the word martyr. But it more properly means to bear witness to testify. In Luke's sequel, Acts, Jesus' final words to his disciples are, you will be my witnesses. You will be my martyreion. Here, Christ tells his followers, no matter what happens, God is with you. Now go, testify. Jesus calls his followers to stand up and testify, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom in a hurting world. To be the witnesses in the midst of the best of times and the worst of times. Comforted that the all-powerful God stands by you. That the Spirit will give you courage to stand up and stand out for God's purposes in the world. As disciples, we can testify with our word, sure. But we can also testify to the already and not yet in our actions and love for one another. We testify when we work to participate in the building of God's kingdom on earth, seeking justice for the oppressed, feeding the hungry, befriending the lonely. We testify when we remind a mourning friend that God is with them and God loves them. And as it's Dedication Sunday, friends, we even testify when we make a pledge to support the mission of the church. Because in that, we're responding to God's abundant generosity. We're participating in the indwelling, the breaking in of God's kingdom among us, sharing the gospel, loving neighbors. Friends, as disciples, we testify to the already and not yet present realities of God's kingdom. May we go forth and may we testify with our words, our actions, and our mindsets, trusting in the God who was, is, and will be at work redeeming our broken world. Because, friends, in Christ, we know how the story ends. And we can live into that blessed assurance here and now. Amen.